Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the writer and podcaster behind 512 Pixels and the Relay FM network, Stephen Hackett. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I feel a little out of my depth. You know, you're talking to people about Swift UI and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. I got nothing for you on that front. You don't, you aren't like secretly a developer who's been building uh, Swift UI apps behind the scene? No, I, I've tried a couple of times over the years to learn. I haven't done this even in the Swift era. It tells you how long it's been. But it just, for whatever reason, hasn't ever clicked for me. And I'm also someone who really, like really struggled in school with foreign language. Yeah, you know mm. how to take, you know, years of Spanish or whatever. And I just, I really struggled my way through and I was a good student otherwise. And so I don't know, I've, in my mind, I've always felt like maybe those things are linked somehow. Like, I don't know. That's really interesting because I feel like everybody always brings up math and I probably half the people on the show in their like origin story part have said, you know, I was really bad at math as a kid. And so I didn't think this was something I would get into. And then turns out I really liked it. Hmm. Um, and I, I'm sort of similar. Like I was never really that into math, um, but I never thought about maybe, maybe it's more like foreign language because uh, you are certainly learning a bunch of different languages. I mean, don't get me wrong. The math's a problem too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, you're definitely not out of your element. In fact, uh, I've had your your other host on the show before, too. Ah, uh, yes, my, um, I was going to say evil twin, but that's a terrible <laughs> thing to say. Uh, Mike Hurley is my dear friend, and I love him, and I'm so glad we have a company together. Now, one of the mistakes that uh, I'm realizing right now that I made is when it's people, so for anybody who doesn't already know, you run Relay FM, the podcast network, you have a whole lot of different podcasts. Um, and I am a person who listens to a lot of those. So I've heard your voice a lot over the years, but I'm one of those weird people that listens to podcasts at uh, fast speeds. Oh no, I sound drunk, don't I? <laughs> that is exactly what's happening right now. Uh, it's It's like messing with my brain. So this is something I learned very early on is that I need to listen to episodes at normal speed for people that I've listened to a lot like a full episode before I get on uh, and talk to somebody because my brain takes a little while to adjust <laughs> and I'm just now realizing you sound absolutely drunk right now. Um, and also it's a late night recording, which mm -hmm. time zone reasons I don't normally uh, end up doing. And so I think the combination of those two makes this feel uh, really laid back and calm. Which sure. Maybe, maybe it's, they'll it's, just give it a different vibe. <laughs> yeah. It's quite the opposite. I had some caffeine. So this is me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're catching up to Ooh. my uh, like 2x speed or whatever it is I listen to on uh, Connected. That's right. Yeah. I can't listen to shows that quickly. I can't edit that quickly. I mean, I'm from the South. And so maybe it's just that I'm used to people talking slowly. I just can't parse it fast enough. <laughs> yeah. I, mine basically comes down to desperation, both on wanting to listen to more shows and then also wanting to get shows edited faster uh, because, sure. you know, everything I'm doing is in uh, after hours time. And so, yeah, I'm always trying to compress everything. Anyway, so <laughs> before we talk about 512 Pixels and Relay FM, I'd like to get like a background on your career that kind of led up to uh, the work that you do. And so there's three questions I always ask everybody, which is, where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then what was your like career like leading up to We'll say 512 pixels because I think that was the first of those two. Yeah, it's it's really old at this point. 
Uh, yeah, so I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised here. I went to college here. I married my high school sweetheart, who is also from here, and I, I've never lived anywhere else. I live basically 15 minutes from my parents and in-laws and everybody, and and that really suits me, and it suits our family. Um, I'm very close with my family, and and I really love being here, and it's definitely not a tech-heavy city, right? There's not, there's kind of a tech scene, but I don't really seem to fit into it. It's more like a makerspace kind of vibe. And that's just not what I'm necessarily interested in. So there's not really like a tech community here that I, you know, grew up in or really was aware of. But I, I came to uh, to what I do now through journalism. So in, in high school, did the high school newspaper thing. That's where I used the Mac for the first time and then got a degree in journalism from the University of Memphis. And when I started school, I thought I wanted to do graphic design. I was really interested in that in high school. And for a bunch of reasons, that didn't work out. So like two years into college, I changed degrees and the art school at the U of M was really intense. And so I didn't even have that many gen ed like, you know, like kind of the classes everyone has to take, right? Like everyone right. has to take sociology or whatever. All the sociologists out there are mad at me now. <laughs> I'm sorry, all six of you. Um, and so I really kind of started college over two years in, which was not great, but it is what it is. Um, but I did the college newspaper, was an editor there for a long time. And uh, and so, yeah, I was, I was always really interested in using technology to communicate. I know that's kind of broad, but, and, I, and I've said this other places, but I, I really loved the feeling of publishing and I'm not unique in that. A lot of people like that dopamine hit when you hit publish or submit or whatever. And just that I could have an idea or some sort of creativity and then put it in the hands of a bunch of people. So in high school and college, that was my classmates and, you know, people I went to school with reading the newspaper, right? Like the high school paper or the college paper. I always thought that was really cool. Sort of the fabric uh, through a like school organization, I feel like a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just, it was cool to like, you know, bop into the coffee shop on campus and everyone's reading the college paper that I designed and, you know, I'd gone to bed four hours before, you know, because <laughs> right. we were up all night doing it because uh, we we published uh, four times a week um, and I was up all night doing it. And and those were physically printed. Oh, yeah. Physically printed and delivered on campus by 6 a.m. Oh, man. Um, and you could just get get a paper on your way to class or whatever. And we had a website, but we didn't really do anything with it. I mean, I started college in 2004, so it's been it's been a while now. Is before social media was really a thing. Like I remember when Facebook rolled out to the University of Tennessee before it came to the University of Memphis, we were like, "Dang it! Like why can't we be on Facebook?" And we we finally got it. That's before we all knew that it was going to be the downfall of society. But so yeah, so I went into school not really knowing what I wanted to do, just knowing that I wanted to do something creative, journalism, something um, more of a focus on the production side than the writing side. I didn't write okay. much in yeah. high school. I started writing in college, but I really liked making the thing. Making meaning the the physical object or like 
uh, laying it out and figuring out who's writing what, that kind of thing? Um, yeah, the, the latter. I mean, laying it out and, you know, I would come in at the college paper at 5 p.m. Usually I was already there. Most days I just was there all the time in between classes or whatever. And at, so at five, the the managing editor during the day, that was their deadline. And so they would need to have all of the articles from all the reporters written and copy edited. And if there's anything that needed to run through legal or whatever, all that had to be done. The advertising stuff all had to be done because that was handled by somebody else. And all the photos needed to be done. And so at five o'clock, I would show up. I'd sit down at my Quicksilver Power Mac G4 and I would have a folder basically on the server that was all the puzzle pieces for the next day's paper. And the length of the paper was determined by the number of ads. <laughs> Something I've yet to get away from in my career. Yeah, I was that about to say. Content is defined by how many ads you can put in it. Um, <laughs> and so I would, it would be my job. And I, I did this for five years, uh, four nights a week. My job would be to put those puzzle pieces together every night and get it to the printer in time for them to run it out on a bunch of newsprint and for the courier to get it back on campus. And that was so much fun. And it was fun in the sense that it was a grind. It's like, this has to be done every day. I liked the the regimented schedule of it. Something that follows me to this day as well. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. Very into that at Relay. Um, but also having those moments where we got to do something special and like work. I mean, there were several times where we'd be working on something for weeks, right? And I'd be just chipping away at it. And then, hey, this is going to come out next Thursday. Get it ready in advance or be working on it. And doing sort of the special stuff was also a lot of fun. That would be like preparation, like earlier prep for some, you know, special event paper that had a different layout or something like that. Exactly. So, for instance, the student center was going to be torn down and replaced because it was old and apparently needed more repair than it was worth. Whatever. The university wanted to build a new student center. And so, we did this big thing journaling the history of it. And so, we, me and a photo photographer and a writer, and it could have just been a regular article, right? We had, we had tons of freedom to do what we wanted. And so I kind of decided, like, I think we should send the student center off with like a big piece, like talk about when it was built and the changes it's over, it's gone through over the years, the stuff that it's seen in its history. Um, and so we, you know, dove through the archives and pulled open record requests and all of this stuff and put together this really cool package that I'm sure like people read, but they were like, oh, cool, student center. You know, like it was really important to us, maybe right. not to them. <laughs> Um, and so that was, it was fun to do those special projects as well. Gosh, it, it's so, this is so fascinating listening to you talk about that. Cause I mean, I have similar experiences with like yearbook club or whatever, but there's this very clear through line of things that you probably learned how to do. And obviously you've built on them over time, but how many of those lessons and kernels of ideas have carried you through, through all these different creative mediums through your whole career? You know, a lot of the skills don't translate, right? I'm not using Cork Express. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no one is. <laughs> um, but the idea of how do I communicate this clearly? How do I take 
content and package it in a way that people will engage with and enjoy. And, and hopefully it's actually meaningful to them. Um, and I think just the basic ability of being able to tell a story yeah. and be able to, to communicate in a way that is concise as he sits here rambling on a podcast, <laughs> you know, those muscles I trained in school, I definitely still use every day. And it, it's much more about that when I think about it, as opposed to, oh, uh, you know, this, this is how you do for print color or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I always find that fascinating because, you know, it's always interesting as people are entering the you know, post high school or post uh, early education where you have to start making decisions on what you're going to do. And it's like, there's always this debate, uh, especially in the software development field about like, does a computer science degree matter or not? Um, And I I always think like those extracurriculars, like those random project-based things are sometimes the most valuable part you get out out of the college experience just because... It teaches you how to do projects, uh, whatever that means in your context. And those lessons, not like you said, not the specifics of this is how you use Word 2003 or PowerPoint or whatever, but the ideas and concepts of like, how do I make a narrative that's interesting or how do I do a presentation that's interesting? Not necessarily the specific text, technical parts, but those things will carry through to your whole career. Anyway, college, whenever extracurriculars can be really helpful, even if they don't necessarily seem like they're applicable exactly to your career right away. That's the lesson there, the moral. No, no, I think it's a good lesson. And I think that's what school should be, right? Like, unless you're going to medical school, like, yeah, those skills you need to carry <laughs> yeah, forward. The exactly. specifics are definitely important there. Right. But if you're going to school for, for basically anything else, and, and this is just my opinion, that's what you should pay attention to. And that's the advice I give. I'm really fortunate enough where I get to speak to journalism students every semester uh, at my university. And I that's always what I tell them is like you. Yeah, you need to like learn the skills you're learning, but the individual tools are going to change. And it's definitely more important to learn how to do the the meta level stuff because that's what's going to to stay evergreen if you will yeah so coming out of college then did you did you start writing or blogging or something in that space right away yeah so i sort of trailed off in college i mean i graduated but i ended up going part time for a while and worked at an apple store for a bit and then at an apple authorized service provider uh, because I, you know, this is 2008, 2009. There was a, you know, a height, uh, just so many jobs to pick from. So such a good economic time to graduate. <laughs> I mean, so many people I went to school with went just just stayed in school, just went back to school because yeah. like, uh, there's no jobs out here. So I got a bunch of friends I started school with who all have grad degrees, and I don't. Because I actually didn't finish mine until 2011. I took a long time to finish, but I started working in in tech and supporting Max because. The Mac was the tool that let me make all of this stuff, right? And I became very interested in the idea of, of the Mac in particular being a tool for creatives. And over my time at the college paper, I kind of became sort of the unofficial IT person, um, much to the chagrin of the actual IT person. He and I did <laughs> not get along very well. But um, for me, it, it wasn't as weird of a jump as it may seem. It's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I can't like pay my living 
laying out a newspaper, but, you know, I can support Macs and people who want to make cool stuff and, and kind of be one step back from it. And the writing at 512 Pixels really, I don't think I thought this at the time, but I think it now was me trying to close that gap a little bit in, okay, I do still want to do something creative, but as a, as a side thing, you know, the blog has never paid the bills and it was definitely true in the early days, but it was me trying to, to smash these two things together. My interest in the Mac and my desire to create something that people enjoyed. So would it, would it be fair to say then the original 512 pixels, which was called, what was it called? Fork bombers? Fork Fork bomber, Bomber. which is a programming joke. Yep. So the original goal of that blog then from what you're saying sounds like it was a sort of, it was like a creative outlet. It wasn't necessarily meant to be some um, career changing move kind of thing. It was just, you wanted to get the writing and creative juices flowing again um, around this sort of semi newfound passion for technology and kind of more specifically the Mac. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there was a season a few years into it where I did want to make it like I want to be a writer and like tried to make the blog a job and that didn't pan out. But it it definitely to this day scratches an itch that I have that really nothing else does. Not even, you know, the shows that I do on Relay because it's wholly mine and because I just like writing. I think of myself as a writer first even though I own a podcast business and that's what pays the mortgage. When I, if people ask me what I do and I don't want to get into it, you know, I was like, well, you know, I'm a technology reporter, you know, I write about technology or something. And that's a simplified answer. Interesting. So I kind of want to dig into the, you you tried to make it into a, a living um, for a minute. Like what was the approach that you took for that? I didn't have a good one. (laughs) <laughs> the, the approach was I'm just going to spend a lot of time on it, even though I had a job uh, doing IT stuff. I was going to spend a lot of time on it and try to sell some ads on it. And, you know, maybe it'll it'll take off. This was probably 2010, 2011. So, 5 Pixels kind of came up roughly the same era as things like Sean Blanc's website and Mac Stories. I think Mac Stories is a year younger Uh, Ben Brooks was starting at the same time. There was kind of a group of us all kind of doing this. And it really felt like there was enough to it that it could become something. And 512 grew in those years. In fact, every year to this year is its best year ever. It goes up and up and up like Apple services revenue, I guess. (laughs) Much smaller numbers, much smaller numbers. But, you know, the graph is the same. Um, But, yeah, it just it just. It just wasn't big enough. And I think ultimately why I sort of stopped that was I realized that I didn't want to turn what had previously been and what is now a website about things I'm interested in into like hardcore news and rumor reporting. Mm, If you look back through the archives in, in those years, I broke some news, had some tips. Like I really tried turning it into something more like maybe what Mac stories is now where it's a mix of reviews and news, but it, it wasn't the right fit for me. It wasn't the right fit for the audience. And ultimately the site kind of told me this isn't what I want to be. And, and so I, after, I don't know, maybe a year, 2010, 2011, sometime in there 
kind of realize, okay, this is just going to stay a side thing. And that's where it continues now, you know, 10 years later. So at what point did you start podcasting then? Was that sort of a outgrowth of the 512 Pixels project? It was. And so my, my first show, I did some shows like random interviews, but it was all because of the writing. You know, I'd write something and someone would have me on the show to talk about it. Right. Um, and one of those people was Mike Hurley, this guy from London who had a much thicker accent at the time. <laughs> and Did you have a thicker accent? Have you oh, lost yeah. some of your uh, Memphis twang? Oh, yeah. We've merged. Uh, <laughs> we're somewhere in the mid-Atlantic now. It was around the time of the iPad or iPad 2, so kind of in the same era, 2010, 2011, maybe 2012, where he and I really hit it off. I was a guest on a couple of his shows. We ended up kind of building a show around 512 Pixels called the 512 Podcast, where it's just me and him talking about tech and Apple stuff. And we had a show called Ungenius, which lives on to this day on Relay about weird stuff we find on Wikipedia. Oh, wow. I didn't know that went that far back. Yeah. Well, there's like an eight-year gap. We did one season in like 2012, and then we picked it up again, <laughs> you know, three <laughs> years ago or whatever. It was a revival. That's right. Back from the dead. <laughs> and and so, yeah, we just hit it off and just kind of did projects together and stayed in touch. And he came to visit my family in 2013, maybe, I think was the first time he was here in Memphis. And, you know, we've been close ever since. So at this point, you had started a podcast then, uh, not just guesting that you were doing with him. What was the, what's the like through line between doing that kind of as a side thing to <laughs> let's start a whole business? Yeah. Um, that through line goes straight through a podcast called The Prompt. And so in 2013, Mike had like a little network and those shows moved to five by five. Um, the summer of 2013. Which was another kind of tech uh, network, right? Yes, absolutely. At the time, John Gruber, John Syracuse, you know, Merlin Mann is still there, Marco Arment, a bunch of people who were in this sphere had shows on 5x5. Five five, and we took a bunch of the shows we had and the 512 podcast, we really thought about it for a long time and we wanted it to be something bigger than just me and Mike. And Mike had been talking to Federico Vitici, the editor-in-chief of Mac Stories, for quite a while about starting a podcast, sort of not joining us, but doing a show with the two of them. And we kind of came to the idea of, well, let's have Federico, let's ask him to join us, and we'll rebrand the 512 podcast. It'll kind of still be the same thing, but we'll be with the three of us. And we talked to Federico and he was very slow to agree to it. He was nervous about, about his English. You know, he lives in Rome um, and he wasn't just, he was just nervous about that much time speaking. Uh, but we talked him into it and that show for whatever reason, I think there's a bunch of reasons. Uh, the prompt just took off. It was very quickly the biggest thing we'd ever done. And it was it launched through 5x5 five five then? Yes, it okay. launched on 5x5 five five, um, in the summer of 2013. And we actually have all these archives now on Relay, which is really right. cool. And so, yeah, that show was just really successful out of the gate. And I think that it showed us a couple of things. It showed us that 
people were interested in what we had to say, but they were more interested in the relationship between the three of us, right? Because when you do a tech news show, it's so hard three or four months out of the year because there's nothing happening. Right. Yeah. Especially if it's focused around uh, a specific like niche, like just Apple. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing, you know, Twit, we get the whole tech industry to talk about, right? right? There's always something going on somewhere. But we were really focused on Apple, even more than we are now. Connected now, which is the prompts predecessor. No, not predecessor. Successor. successor? Yeah. <laughs> those, I get those backwards all the time, man. They're really confusing to me. We're a little broader now. But uh, but yeah, so we we kind of hit on the this relationship between the three of us where Federico and I would be at opposite ends of a conversation or an idea or a belief and Mike would be in the middle. And so we could all, we could all make fun of each other or, <laughs> yeah, you know, disagree. And at least for now, I can't speak for then. Uh, it feels fun and amicable at least it, it doesn't, it, I don't know. I, it, it feels like a version of what you're describing could be a show that lots of people would like. That's sort of built on tension and fighting, mm-hmm. but it's not that, at all. Well, maybe fighting, but not like real tension, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's totally right. And that comes out of the three of us being really good friends. And so what we sort of fell into, and, and uh, honestly, it wasn't planned. It was happening to us as much as we were doing it, it felt like. But it was like when you get together with, you know, friends from school and you're catching up and, you know, you have the jokes that everyone knows and you have the roles that people play. And it was just, it, people just really were attracted to it. And, and that show showed us that, okay, we could take this idea and not, again, not that it was unique to us, but take this idea of we're going to build tech shows around personality and do that in a bunch of different areas. And, the prompt was successful enough that we felt like we could do it independently. And so as we went into 2014, the summer of 2014 really started talking seriously about doing a network on our own and taking our shows out to be independent from five by five. And then ended up doing that um, in the fall of 14. And it really, I mean, the only reason we're talking really is because the prompt was so successful and with just the right show at the right time that it taught us that, oh, like we do know what we're doing and we can maybe, if we're lucky and people show up, try to do this on a, on a bigger scale. I'm really interested in what you just said. It showed you that you can make a show, a tech show around the personalities of the hosts. I may have phrased that wrong, but I, I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Is it, was that like a concept at the beginning of Relay of like, how you would build a show out? It was a little bit. I don't think it was as clearly defined as that. I think that has taken years to get that so succinct. But there's definitely, in the early days of Relay, a lot of instances of it. So we had been up and running for two weeks, and Jason Snell emails us and like, hey, um, I'm going independent. I want to bring Clockwise and do a show with you all. And we're like, well, how do we make it different from connected. You know, how do we make what would become upgrade? How do we make that different? And the answer was really clear. Well, Jason's not us. And Jason has 
years and years of experience and a different point of view. And he has this connection to the Mac in particular, but to Apple that just because he's been doing it so long is different from what we have. And so even though Mike is on that show and connected, they're very different. And over time, the differences have become greater as we've learned more about each other. But I think even in the beginning, the seed of the idea was there. It's just, I've never heard that articulated that way, but it, it rings very true for at least my listening. But yeah, I think, I think that's about right. I think that's the way that we think about it. And the longer the shows have gone on, you know, upgrades doing things like talking about streaming services, like Unconnected, I have no interest in that. Federico has no very little interest in it. And so that's something that Upgrade does that we would never dive into anyways on our own, right? So they've, they've even grown differently over time. But, you know, the reality is Relay is a group of people as it is much a group of shows. And, and so we want people to come and like make their cool stuff and we give them the tools to do that. Again, that's, you know, the idea I had in, in college, like let's uh, just make cool stuff and help other people make cool stuff. And so having shows that are built around people just makes a lot of sense to us. And it really carries you over in those times where tech is slow. I mean, that's a nice side effect. But it also means that that people will listen for a long time. You know, I'm sure you've had this experience. I know I've had this experience where I meet somebody who I've listened to for years and I feel like I know them, right? I, oh, yeah. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know them. Um, but it feels that way because I've spent, you know, literal hours and hours listening to them. And that leans into why podcasting is special because you hear people have conversations over the course of years. That's a way more intimate thing than, you know, reading my blog now for 12 years, right? That's a lot, <laughs> first of all, <laughs> but it it's not as as powerful or as intimate as listening to someone speak. And I think that that is a powerful thing. And so leaning into that, I think has only been good for Relay. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like you get that off the cuff thinking of somebody where they will let spill a thought that they don't feel confident enough to to put in writing necessarily and maybe even walk it back afterwards. But hearing the way somebody talks about something makes it where you feel like you truly understand the person behind the words which gives context to the words in a whole different way. Oh, yeah. I think no one does that better than Jason, where Jason will have something on six colors and it's a topic on upgrade or vice versa. Yeah. He yeah. does it a lot more than I do or Federico does. And I think it makes six colors and upgrade to a degree, like two sides of a coin. Mm -hmm. And if you're in both worlds, then you get you get all the better content for it. So one of the things you kind of mentioned a second ago, and I, this is something I noticed when you were talking about your college days, but you mentioned how you really liked the, the like sort of behind the scenes, you know, building of the thing that allowed people to put their content out in the newspaper. And at least from my outsider's perspective, it seems like that's in some ways your role at Relay. Mm -hmm. You're kind of um, maybe not the one, you know, writing the code or whatever, but you're sort of the business operations uh, person for lack of a better term is that is that accurate yeah no i think it is uh, we got really good advice from gray years ago and he's like even though there's only two of you in the company 
you need to have an org chart. So when something comes in or something comes up, you know who takes it. It was very good advice from him and something that we did and that we update every couple of years. And so, yeah, that's really where we've kind of sorted out where, you know, Mike and I both focus on our own content, right? I mean, if you looked, I don't time track, but if I did, I probably spend more time on my content than I do the business itself at this point. A lot of that is just the business is six years old and we finally worked out a bunch of the bugs and how the business runs. Um, But the, um, yeah, kind of behind the scenes, that is more my role. And so the actual like tools we use, they're all mine. Like we have a custom CMS that I oversee. There, There are a few commits in our GitHub history that are me, but they're mostly minor and usually wrong. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I oversee that and I manage our, our membership program and Mike manages the ad sales. And we each have people helping us now, um, which is great. We have some uh, two people who, who work with us and that's been really good. But that's kind of where we fell naturally. It's not like we had a big conversation about it, but, you know, we kind of knew early on and because we had worked together before, these are the types of things that I want to do and I'm good at. And these are the type of things that Mike wants to do and he's good at. And thankfully, like it's been pretty clear and where we are both good at things, um, it's sort of on the content. And so we work on our separate shows and on Connected, we work together and it's really worked out really well. I really, I really mean this honestly, that w- Mike's a great partner for me and I hope that I'm, you know, I think I'm a good partner for him. Yeah. Just don't listen to the episode he did with me then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude's a jerk. Yeah. Um, I didn't listen to it, but it was like, it was like a year ago or something. It was a long time ago. Um, yeah. It was a year ago before February. So uh, like before the world was completely different. Oh yeah. I don't even like... pre-pandemic like what is it's like a haze you know yeah it's like once you have kids it's like i don't remember the time before i had children yeah yeah it's just like (laughs) fog and the mist and then there was a baby and then there were two more i don't know um but yeah so we've been really fortunate to work really well together and we don't fight or argue we kind of have each of us know what we do and we have a stand up every Monday and talk on the phone for an hour. And, you know, we kind of just do our work and that's really what I want in a partner. It's what he wants in a partner. It's how we want our company to run. You know, we don't want a bunch of drama and unclear boundaries and responsibilities. We want it to be a well-oiled machine. And, And thankfully that's, that's what it is most of the time. Sometimes things catch on fire, just be honest, but. And speaking of catching on fire, uh, like we alluded to a second ago, last year, the world caught on fire. And I mean, that that had real world implications on on your business. And like you just talked about, Mike uh, is kind of overseeing the ad part. And that was seemed to be that was part of where some of the problems could arise if the uh, sure. ad spots weren't selling or whatever. Um, and so you guys kind of overtook a, a whole business uh change uh, uh, not complete business model change but definitely a pretty radical thing with like increasing the importance of your membership program and how that works and you guys have talked about that a lot on all the other all your other shows um so i don't want to get like too in the weeds on everything with that but something i'm like really curious about is from your perspective as the person running this business when you kind of realized that you know this could be a big deal and have really impact your business. Mm -hmm. What was your like process for trying to figure out 
like brainstorming what solutions you could come up with for that? Well, at first we just sort of freaked out like everybody else. Right. <laughs> there was some running around in circles for a, a week or two there. It's an important part of a two-step process. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just like everybody out there, like we didn't know what this was going to be. You know, we saw advertising budgets freeze or even shrink and... We had had a membership program for several years. In fact, we launched it in December of 2015. It was one of the first things I did after quitting my job and going full-time in Relay was membership. Well, really quick, what was the reason for that? We had wanted to do one earlier, but it was, there just wasn't any time because I was still working. a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, And honestly, like... I know how this sounds, but I promise you it's true. We had people asking us on a regular basis, how can we support you? Which is like really humbling, super humbling, a little embarrassing, but we wanted a way to do it. And so version one of membership launched at the end of 15, and it was pretty basic. We had some perks, but it was much more about, hey, support shows you love, and yeah, you're going to get some stuff, but it was equal parts perks and feel good vibes right and from your business perspective was that like a major part of you know supporting the business or was it kind of a supplementary thing yeah ver- i mean in those early days in particular it was a very small percentage okay of you know company revenue if you will and and honestly not a very big percentage of like thought <laughs> or effort right like right. not to say <laughs> that it, it wasn't important it was important but when 2020 rolled around and it showed its hand with this pandemic, we really took stock of what we had in the company and membership was top of the list. And we had, we had talked some before this about, we really should do more with that. Like we wanted to be in a, in a position from a business perspective where not so many eggs were in the membership or in the advertising basket, if you will. So when 2020 came around We looked at what we had and sort of mapped out like worst case scenario and what we knew, you know, and whatever it was, March or April. And we we pretty quickly after, you know, a week or so of freaking out, we really came to the conclusion like, okay, membership is, it needs to be bigger. It needs to be more important. And we want to have uh, a business that not only is more diverse in terms of revenue, but from the creator perspective, right? Because Mike and I are in this weird position where we own the business and we create content in the business. And so we wear two hats. And so with the membership, we also wanted to have a way to create content and create ways to interact with the audience that we didn't have before. And, you know, we've said this, I'll say it again, restructuring our membership and you know, the first half of 2020 is the hardest we've worked since starting the company. It was brutal trying to figure out what we could do. Since we already had an existing system, I spent weeks on like, how do we move people from system one to system two? Yeah. Yeah. Migrations are the worst. Yeah. And we're on the same platform. We use a platform called Memberful, which I can't say enough good things about. I love them. But structurally, like, or from a perks perspective or, you know, one thing we did membership 2.0 is that you can back a certain show. So if you back connected, you get 
connected specific perks in addition to the perks that all members get. We had to figure out what those were going to be and we had to figure out how to deliver them. And so we had to build this whole like parallel publishing system <laughs> to the public feeds to make private feeds that feed memberful so people can subscribe to it, the memberful, right? Like none of that was in place in February 2020, but it was in June 2020 when we launched it. And so it, it really became a a technical a creative, a content, and a business challenge, all four of them. And so it took both of us. You know, I run it now, but in the, we were figuring it out. It was both of us. And and like, let me just say, we have been blown away by the response. Um, blown away by the number of people who have joined and or have, you know, stayed renewed. Blown away by the number of people who are in the, the Relay Members Discord which is a fraction of the members. <laughs> Sorry, it's not like everyone's in there. That's optional. And some people just don't want don't want to be there. And that's totally cool. I get it. There's a bunch of Slack invites that I never respond to because I don't <laughs> want more <laughs> social media. But it's been it's been incredible to see how many people uh, want to come on this journey with us. And as a creative, it's let us do weird stuff. Like if you listen to Connected Pro, it's weird and <laughs> especially more recently and that has been really rewarding creatively as well to get to do these things in the shows that are just for members you know we made a pledge and we've we've held to it we don't pull content out of the normal shows like connected today is what it was two years ago as far as length and sort of scope the membership stuff is extra you know we're not taking a topic out we're not making the show shorter or something like that so yeah so connected maybe went from three or four topics to four to five right like it's gotta come up with extra stuff every week but it's so rewarding and and thankfully you know the the membership was received really really well and that's just a huge testament to our audience so they're the best people on the internet and it's been wildly successful so far that kind of cuts to the second part of my question, which is like, as a lot of people that listen to the show are other app developers, and uh, it's pretty well understood that changing your business model in any way can lead to some pretty awful uh, response from yeah. users, uh, right? So sure. was that something that you guys were... I mean, it sounds like it based on your answer, but was that was that something you were sort of planning for and thinking about as you were trying to build this out? Is like, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna add new content, but not everybody gets it, you know, how are mm -hmm. people gonna respond to this? Was that something as you built this whole thing out that you were constantly thinking through? Absolutely, because uh, you know, I've I've got plenty of app, de app developer friends who have been on the other end of that, and. I will say that podcast audiences are way more forgiving than the app store. Yeah. <laughs> um, to the original earlier point of like, it's personal, right? Everybody knows yeah. who you are and knows your people. Right. And if you're just like the person who makes the random app on my home screen, like there's no connection to that person. So you can burn them down on Twitter and yeah. who cares, right? <laughs> um, it's not the way the world should be, but it's the way the world is. Um, yeah, we were worried about that. And that's, you know, that guided a lot of the conversation of, okay, we already have a bunch of members, you know, how do we bring them into this new membership program? Right. You know, how do we honor what they've done in the past, but bring them forward with us? And, you know, we had a few people 
who who weren't thrilled, but I think on the whole it went really well. And uh, and again, I think that goes to exactly what you just said that people know us, they know what you know why we're doing it. One thing we we did basically at the same time was launch a membership show called Backstage. And currently we're like talking people through making a podcast over the course of like a year and a half. So probably not the fastest project anyone's done, but that was also a way for us to talk to members directly about what's going on at the company. And we're as honest as we feel like we can be in in there. In there. And, and that's you and Mike uh, together, which I feel like kind of goes with that it's kind of like yeah the the guys who run the pot the network talking to you exactly and and that has been a way for us to communicate and you know and really like we're in the discord we're very active in the community and we'll answer questions and you know i handle all of the membership support myself um even though you know we have people who help us in the company now like I haven't given that up because I want to know what members are thinking and what they're running into trouble with and concerns they have. And so if someone emails the membership support email, it comes to me. And it's it's actually very funny to me how many people are like, oh, I didn't think you would answer. It's like, <laughs> no, it's me. It's like, who do you think is here? Like, <laughs> we're not that big. Um, I just assume it's a call center, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> it's like you hear, you know, someone... Uh, answering his Comcast support on the other, you know, yeah, the other. You just have a gigantic warehouse in uh, Memphis, just filled with people on the phones uh, answering. That's right, member support questions. No, it's just me and a bunch of old computers, unfortunately. <laughs> but you know, the reason I do that is so if people have a problem, well, you know, I'm empowered to fix it. Right? If the solution is take care of somebody, like I'm always going to make somebody whole. I'm always going to try to make somebody feel like their support of Relay has been worthwhile. And and so now the business owner, like I'm empowered to do that. And and that's something that I, I don't ever want to give up uh, is, is that connection with our listeners. Because look, I mean, the audience is the only reason any of this exists, right? I mean, it, it's the fact that people listen and care week in and week out. A, it just, it's, the most humbling thing I've ever experienced or second most humbling thing I've ever experienced. But it is also like, I I don't want to squander it. Like I'm a big believer. Like something I I deeply believe is that if you have been shown good, you should show good to others. Right. And we've had that in relay. And so showing that good to our members or our audience or whatever like that's just ingrained in who I want to be and ingrained in who Mike wants to be. And so doing our membership this way in some ways was the most natural fit. It took us a while to figure that out, but it really felt as relay native as possible, if you will. Yeah. And in a similar boat, it felt like through the whole process on almost every show I listened to, it was, it was being talked about during the process of building it. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, I guess that's another lesson for people in other fields is like preemptively warning people that change is coming. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It smooths things out once the change actually hits. It, it does. It also serves selfishly as if you're going down the, the wrong road, you'll probably hear about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the reason we did it is because we know we have a relationship with the audience that's unique, um, that's different than app developers or, ev- or even bloggers, honestly, even people who write primarily, it's different. And so 
it felt very natural to us to talk about it and to and to you know answer questions about you know talking about it here right I'm, I'm sure there are people out there thinking like oh my gosh I can't believe he's sharing that they freaked out it was like yeah <laughs> we did like there's no there's no reason for me to hide that because so many people did and it's just the truth you know the truth is I was really afraid during March and April last year and really nervous leading up to the membership launch and obsessively checking the numbers throughout the summer, watching it grow. And it's really only been recently where I finally felt that sense of relief, like really is going to be okay through the rest of this pandemic. Um, and a lot of that is to do with the membership program. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it, it you know, as a listener, it's been, it's been really, I don't want to say fun because I know it wasn't exactly always fun on your end, but uh, it's been really informative to like watch you go through that and sort of publicly uh, talk through the pain that you're going through as you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel like that is applicable to so many people, especially last year as probably, you know, what percentage of your audience is even in the tech field? Like there's probably lots of people in all sorts of fields doing yeah. all sorts of things that are oh, yeah. going through the same thing, just in a totally different industry and getting to listen to somebody talk about that for 20 minutes and then talk about the new, you know, iPad keyboard or whatever to like mm-hmm. smooth things over uh, as far as your anxiety was honestly really nice and cathartic. And so oh, good. Uh, I, I really appreciated it. And it, it kind of cuts to what makes that network uh, so awesome. I feel like. Oh, well, that's very kind. Thank you. Um, and it means the world to us to hear stories like that. Like uh, throughout the last year, we've heard from so many people who, honestly, a lot of people on the front lines of this stuff, like doctors, nurses. I got an email from a guy who's an ambulance driver, who like yeah, like I'm listening to shows on my you know God knows how long hours long days long shift, and it's a little bit of normalcy. And it's like, we're just making jokes about iPhones, right? <laughs> like we're not changing the world here, but the fact that it means that much to people, just, it means so much to us. And then I think about the shows that I love, you know, and what they mean to me that, you know, every week I can listen to this or that or, or whatever it may be. Same thing with, you know, TV and other media, of course, as well, that all of us, Every person on this planet in the last 12 months has needed normalcy in some way or the other. So, like, the fact that Relay could play a tiny part in that for some people is mind-blowing to me, but but also really cool. And so, hearing those stories uh, is always special to me and and being able to take what we do as goofy as it is or, like, seemingly less meaningful than other things in the world – uh, but bring that every week, like that means something. And it means a lot to me, right? Like that, I, that every Wednesday I get to talk with two of my best friends about something I'm super interested in on Connected. You know, that that is good for me. It's good for me to talk to David Sparks every Monday when we record Mac Power Users because for half an hour before and after the show, we're talking about family stuff and, you know, life stuff and all of these things. And so I feel like I um, I get more out of it than the audience because I get to do it every week, like first party, you know, like I'm there in the seat. Would you say it helps you feel connected? Hey, <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm hearing my joke bell. Um, oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> every podcast, you have a bell, you need a bell. 
Every podcaster has a bell. Um, but yeah, yeah. So having that connection is so important, let alone in a pandemic, um, you know, where so many people can't see loved ones or, you know, are isolated. You know, it's, it's a really hard time. Like it is, I'm so fortunate, you know, that my family's health has been protected through this and that I've seen my family a little bit because it's because my parents are in town. You know, I mean, I've got I've got good friends who uh, they packed up and and moved to a whole nother continent two years ago and they haven't been able to be home or their parents or family go visit them. And now coming up on a year and that's been really hard on them. And so, so many people are in that. And so if we can make some jokes about iPhone cases and that helps in some way, like I'm super, super glad for it. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, also Apple makes hilariously bad iPhone cases sometimes. So this is right there. You know, who's buying the, who's buying the leather sleeve for the iPhone 12? Who's doing it? There's got to be somebody, right? I guess. It's just Tim Cook. He just, he just really likes it and uh, forces them to uh, set up a whole factory to produce it so that he can have his. (laughs) So he can have one? (laughs) Just for his. He has all of them in his uh, office behind his basketballs. Yeah. What color do I want today? Um, so one other thing before, before we wrap up that I kind of want to talk about a little bit is like your other really big passion is, uh, for the St. Jude organization, Yes, which is like a foundation that treats and takes care of families with, uh, children with cancer and does a Mm -hmm. research and everything to help try and end childhood cancer. And anybody who knows you or has followed you knows that that organization has really touched you personally, but I feel like you've gone beyond just like being a cheerleader for them and you've kind of turned into like a partner and you've done a lot of really big projects with them. How, how has that like grown? I'm just kind of curious because I, I started really paying attention when the first podcast-a-thon hit, mm-hmm. but I assume there was a growth up to that. Yeah, yeah, there was. So the short version is uh, our oldest son, when he was an infant, was diagnosed with a brain tumor that was malignant. He underwent treatment at St. Jude. St. Jude is located here in Memphis. It's just been in my, in my backyard my whole life. Um, and so we're very fortunate that we were already in town. We didn't have to travel for anything. But probably five or six years ago during September, which is National Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, I would raise money just on five filled pixels. You know, I would donate all the ad revenue for the month and say, hey, if you can pitch a couple bucks this way, there'll be a link on the top of the site all month. And raised pretty good money uh, through that. I mean, tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, wow. Uh, going to to St. Jude. And so St. Jude treats children with cancer and other catastrophic diseases, and they don't charge the families at all. I mean, w- my son's been a patient for going on 12 years, and I've never received a bill. And not just for like chemo or MRI or surgery, but like we can eat on campus and, you know, checkup scans and blood work, anything, medication. He's on a, a bunch of medication for seizure, a seizure disorder. They don't charge me for his medication. It's it's mind blowing. Yeah. Especially in America. Especially in America. Like spoiler alert, our healthcare system, not the best. Um, and it really crushes people. I mean, people go into debt because they get a cancer diagnosis. It's horrific. It really makes me angry. It, it makes me mad. And so St. Jude is, is this bright spot in the world that 
treats children all over the world. All over the world, families come to Memphis for care at St. Jude. St. Jude has partner hospitals all over the world where they treat kids. They share their research and their findings all around the world. And and so I've raised money just through 512. And then probably 2017, 2018, we start talking about it on the shows. We end up raising $70,000 in 2018, just talking about it on the shows. Like it was like a Almost like an ad spot kind of. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, we had copy and we read it. ATP read it. You know, John Gruber's linked to it for years. So it's kind of like the Apple community broader than just than just Relay. Right. Yeah. Um, even though all the ATP guys have Relay shows, you know, they are separate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and so, yeah, it, it kind of came to a point a couple of years ago now where I we I really want to do something bigger and and Mike is right there with me in this. It's not me dragging Relay into this. It's Mike and I want to do it together. And so I was at, I'd been invited to like this random like design, like feedback session at St. Jude, actually at Allsack, which is St. Jude's fundraising arm. They're separate organizations. Um, And it was like, they wanted feedback on some brand stuff. And I, I know a bunch of people there over the years because I've been around for so long and a bunch of people I went to school with work there as designers. I know a ton of people in the IT department there. And so I got invited to this thing and like, yeah, speak on this panel or whatever. And a friend of mine who I went to school with was there. And I was like, hey, you know, we have this crazy idea that Mike and I've kicked around. Like, what if we could do like a telethon? You know, like the old school, like, you know, telethons, right? Like Jerry... Lee Lewis or whoever is on stage and <laughs> singing for 24 hours or whatever. There's a park and recreations episode where they do a telethon. That's fantastic. So good. I feel like all my telethon references are from shows talking about telethons. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen a real telethon before. You're too young. Like yeah. we're all too young. It's all, it's all gone. And, but we had this idea of like, what if we stole that format and did our weird tech stuff, but raise money for St. Jude. And so I just mentioned to this, my, to my buddy, Ricky, who works there off the cuff, walking down the hallway. And that quickly turned into meetings and planning. And so in 2019, we did a really big campaign as St. Jude's first podcasting partner. You know, they they work with a lot of Twitch streamers, Dr. Lupo very famously, and and others. They work with a lot of influencers and content people. We were the first podcasters in the door. And we were able to do this campaign in 2019 and we raised 315 grand for the hospital in 2019 in September, really focusing it in September still. And it was amazing. I mean, I remember talking to my dad in the weeks before we announced it, because we announced it a month before the podcastathon at a, another live event we were doing at the time. And I remember talking to him. I think the night before I went to California for that live show, I was like, I just, I just don't know what to set the goal at. Mm, And, you know, we had talked about different numbers and he was like, I think whatever you set it at, I think your audience is going to blow past it. He's like, aim big. And I called him driving home from the studio after the podcast. He had watched the whole thing. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) you were right. He's like, you know, he took like, took off work. It was like a six hour event. He watched the whole thing. And I was like, you were right, you know. Uh, the audience really came through in a big way. And so for 2020, obviously it was going to be different because Mike couldn't travel here. The podcast takes place on St. Jude's campus. They have this beautiful studio we get to use. Like, I really feel like an amateur recording at home after being in a, like a nice studio. It's like, 
Yeah, because they have oh. a whole, it's a whole suite with multiple cameras. Oh, yeah. They have lights on them to tell you what's live and. Yeah. And like people pushing buttons is great. Like, I'm just <laughs> here alone. Like, um, and, and this year, well, in 2020, we raised $481,000 in a pandemic. It's bananas. Yeah. It's bananas. And we, we were so worried about the show itself, the podcast on itself, because Mike was going to be remote. We raised a hundred grand just during the podcast-a-thon and which was twice during the podcast a thon in 2019 and it was just incredible and i take no credit for this like i just happen to be the guy with a foot in both camps it really is the message of saint jude of treating children with cancer without charging their families like that's the message right like i want to get out of the way i just want to i just want to share their message right uh, I want to be a evangelist for them, if you could use that term. And the audience, just like with membership, just like with everything else we've talked about, they just showed up in force. And basically, every metric we track was up from 2019 to 2020. And it's just been incredible. And and now it's it's way bigger than Relay, right? It's it's the Apple community on the whole. Like there are people who donate who don't listen to us, but you know right. they see a link. On Daring Fireball, or they listen to ATP, or they, you know, whatever, and they, you know, they chip in. And it is, um, it's really, really amazing. I mean, it's draining. The podcast on itself is physically draining. It ended up being almost eight hours this year because if people watched, I held us on air until we reached the original campaign goal because I wanted to reach it live. And like, as I'm saying it, we had earpieces. Uh, so the control room could talk to me and Mike and they're like, ah, nah, you know, what are you doing? It's like, no, we're doing it. We're going to stay on air. And like, if you guys are in, I'm in, we're going to do it. Right. Mike, it's like four o'clock in the morning in London. Poor Mike. Um, he was delirious by that point anyways, his, with his balloons, with his balloons, many balloons. Uh, but the audience just showed up in a big way. And so being able to use our little platform, our little tiny corner of the internet for good Again, like what I said earlier, like if you've been shown good, you should show good to others. That's what we want to do with St. Jude. Not just because St. Jude saved my son's life and has cared for our family for over a decade through his, you know, ongoing treatment. In fact, as we're recording this, he has a checkup MRI in a couple of weeks. It's ongoing for us. A lot of families it is, a lot of families it's not. But so many people have been touched by that institution. If I can leverage my tiny bit of leverage I have in the world to help that mission, I'm going to do it. And, and so we've been really fortunate to be able to do that. And, you know, St. Jude took a risk on us. They hadn't worked with podcasters. They, the podcast on idea was really unusual for them <laughs> to do a big event like that, that was in person and, it was very complicated. We call people in. It was the tech planning for the pocket. We could talk another hour about that. It's so much work. In fact, I'm starting it uh, on March 1st. We're going to start podcast the planning for 2021. Oh, wow. It's, it's, I told you, it's a lot to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eventually, it's just going to be year round. It's like we finish it and the next day it's starting up again. Well, now that but, I remember, like you had already started planning for a non-pandemic version of it uh, before the pandemic hit for last year's, we right? We did. We had some broad strokes. And then I think by April or May, it was clear to us that this isn't going to be blown over in September. And 
And so we had to shift to, well, how in the world do we do it remotely? I was really worried about the chemistry between me and Mike not working over video. And I think it did, but it was a real challenge. And we had to figure out, I mean, so much technical stuff. All the planning had to shift. It was like, okay, we're not in the room together. Like simple things, like if we want to have three people on screen, well, I'm one and Mike's one. So we can only have one guest at a time because of limitations in the way the studio works, all right. the, all these factors. Right. But, but it all, it all worked out. It's a very different event than it was in 2019. You know, this year, just honestly, we're planning for both. We're going to have track one, which is Mike in, is in Memphis and track two that Mike is not in Memphis because there's a thousand things that have to go right between now and then for him to be here yeah. and to be on a campus like St. Jude, right? Right. That specifically definitely doesn't want, uh, yeah. Yes. And so it, I had to go through a lot of things and I was happy to do it, to be on campus. And there was even a time in 2020 where we thought, I'm going to have to do my part for my studio. Then I was like, uh, how is that? You know? Yeah. At least with me being there, we have all the people and like all the cool soundboards and stuff and like cables everywhere. It's like, I'm just here, you know? So we're really fortunate that it worked out the way it did, but it is... We say this every year and we mean it. It is a true honor to come alongside St. Jude and raise money and raise awareness and give the families that were just like mine 12 years ago where they don't know what the future holds. And it's really scary to give those families the relief of not having to worry about where the money is coming from. Like, damn, I'll do whatever I got to do, you know, like, yeah, okay, I can do a pocket like, okay, oh, yeah, podcast on real challenging compared to that. It's, it's not at all. Right. <laughs> and, and, and um, because my wife and I lived through that with our oldest son and like, I mean, seriously, praise God, he's doing awesome. Um, he's doing really well today. But because we went through that, we have um, a real sense of we can help those coming up behind us, you know, families right. doing this now. Because if there weren't people doing things when we were there, we couldn't have been patient, a patient family either. And so it, it's not a guilt thing. It's not a, oh, I need to repay a debt I'm owed. It is a truly a, I have been shown this much love and grace and care that I can't help but, but give back. I can't help but reflect it back out. And so, yeah, it's, it's the, uh, I, I always get the phrase wrong, but I, I had a uh, Ish Shabazz. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yes. Uh, on recently. And he has a whole story about, you know, this act of kindness that was given to him when he was a kid and how he feels like he needs to project out, you know, this act of kindness that was given to him to everyone around him going forward. Yeah. And the idea is that each one of those is planting a new seed and it's sort of this compounding interest of kindness. Uh, yeah. Now, obviously I, yours I is not a small act of kindness, uh, but like same concept. You just, you're filled with so much like love and joy that you just can't help but want to share that with others. Yeah. No, absolutely. And th that is a, in some ways, a very like spiritual or religious idea uh, it certainly is for me, but I can also apply it to other things. And, you know, the truth is the scales are relative. Uh, I used to get really mad when someone would be like bemoaning something with their kid, right? Like uh, a friend of mine, 
you know, oh, the kid got hurt or whatever, and they're freaking out. I'm like, grow up, you know, like it's not a big deal, right? And I've learned through lots of counseling and years of <laughs> talking with people is that, you know, it doesn't matter that mine is, quote, bigger or smaller than anyone else's, right? Everyone has something in their life like this, right? Maybe it's that teacher who noticed you in elementary school, or maybe it's the grandmother who took care of you when something happened with your parents, whatever it is, it doesn't even have to be dramatic, but everyone has something like that in their lives. And when you look for it and when you pay attention to it, I think most people can't help but want to pass that on back into the world, like you said, and like it said in that episode. So that that's all this is, you know, it just happens to be in a fancy studio and it just happened to fill up computer full of bouncy balls because I wanted to, but I don't think it's anything different than anybody else would do if they were able. And I guess to run the thread through, you know, this whole story to, to hear, I, I think you and Mike's, uh, style of just constantly sharing, you know, your life story, uh, as you go through all of this is part of why these are so successful. Um, you know, in, in part, because, people giving the St. Jude feel a similar feeling that you do because they feel a connection to you and you so clearly, you know, uh, promote that out. But then also like the process of you guys working on the podcast-a-thon and talking about all the work and, you know, blood, sweat and tears that go into that, that shows how much you two care about this thing, which then naturally Mm -hmm. makes everybody listening care about that thing. And so, yeah, it, it seems like it's a continual through line through a lot of your work is this, uh, you know, empathy that we all get because we, we listen to you all the time and you guys are very open about sharing, you know, the ups and downs of everything in your life. Um, or, or at least mm-hmm. what you, not everything in your life, but you know what I mean? Uh, there's a, there's that connection there. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. And you know, one thing we, we worked really hard in 2020 on the podcast thon was bringing other voices into it. So I got to interview my buddy, Bob Crawford about their daughter and, Mike interviewed a scientist at St. Jude who like, I'm still not quite sure what that guy does. There's a lot of big <laughs> words in the interview and like, seemed cool, you know, <laughs> uh, very important work, not uh, above my pay grade. Uh, and so, yeah, leveraging our story, but also telling the broader story uh, of St. Jude is, is really what, what does it. And, you know, I get to meet a bunch of parents of St. Jude patients and, meet St. Jude kids. And in, in a way, all of our stories are the same. They may not end up all the same. We've had a lot of friends lose their children, uh, unfortunately, but having the thing that's most precious to you in the world being threatened to be taken away, like, that does something to somebody. Yeah. And, and so talking about that openly, like, I don't know what else to do with it. Like I, I, <laughs> I would explode or implode probably is the better word um, if I didn't have an outlet for it. And so, yeah, it may be weird to talk about that through a podcast network that is on the surface about technology, but I don't think Relay is actually a network about technology. I think Relay, what it really is, is a podcast network made up of people who talk about where technology intersects their actual lives, right? Um Analog got the really good tagline about that, you know, kind of the the in between the zeros and ones. But that I think is really what Relay is about more than anything. And and so doing stuff like raising money for St. Jude or 
doing a membership program that means that Mike and I have the opportunity to talk to our members every day. Like I'm in the discord all day, every day, you know, so it's, it's one space over from my main working space on my, on my Mac. Um, there's no other way we would do it because that's what, that's what relay is. And it's way bigger than the two of us at this point, man, that's, that's like an awesome, uh, cap off. I feel like, so I'm getting all choked up, man. Yeah. I was talking about <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> So uh, I guess I guess we'll wrap up then with uh, the question I always ask everybody, which is what's a, a person or people out there that have inspired you in your work that you'd recommend other people check out? Yeah. You know, I, I have the, the opportunity to work with so many people that I've, I've looked up to for so long. You know, Jason, John, Merlin, Mark. I mean, all these people, right? Like, I remember, especially in the time period where I wanted to be like a tech writer and like turn five pixels into like a tech blog, like. I, I worshiped the ground Christina Warren walked on, right? Like she's <laughs> one of my favorite technology reporters and I get to work with her now. She has a show on the network. Um, uh, so I, I challenged myself in thinking about this question to think of people outside of Relay and and really who comes to mind to me, someone who I actually haven't known that long. I don't know her super well, but there's a, a YouTube a content creator, Sarah Dietschy. She has a, a pretty good sized channel. She talks about camera and tech and laptops and stuff. But what I love about her content is that she weaves it through real life, just the way like we've been talking about here, where, yeah, she's like reviewing a laptop or whatever. And it's probably a laptop that I'm not even interested in because I'm, you know, Big Mac guy, but talking about like, hey, this changes this workflow and this means that I can do this creative thing that I wanted to do. I just like her approach to that. And hmm. she's she's had some videos, including the last year, that are just not even about any of that stuff and just talking to the camera about, this is what's going on. I'm really struggling. Uh, this is what it's really like to create content for a living. Um, and I just really appreciate that that honesty she puts into her work. And, um, so yeah, I would definitely point people to her YouTube channel because, uh, not only does she have a unique take on technology, but she, she just lives it out in a way that I find really refreshing. That's, that sounds really awesome. Uh, yeah. What's the name of the channel? Uh, I think it is just her name, Sarah Dietschy. I'm sure we can put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll have Um, have it in the show notes. Yeah. Sarah Dietschy rhymes with peachy is her like little phrase. (laughs) Um, I can't spell her last name without looking at it, so I'm not going to try. But, um, but yeah, uh, it's it's definitely a good thing to put in your rotation if you're into tech stuff. Um, you know, the other person I would definitely recommend is uh, Tyler Stallman, who mm, has a show, yeah. and we've done some stuff together. Tyler's awesome. He's a really authentic creator. Uh, I think what Tyler does really well is he explains, especially, I mean, he's mostly in the video and photography world, but explaining things in a way that actually makes sense to people. And like, yeah, this camera has these specs, but like, what can you do with it? What does it unlock for you that you didn't have before? And he works with his wife. They have a business together. And I love hearing them talk about that because I think that's really cool and and fun. And so those are are two people outside of Relay that I would definitely point people to. Awesome. And yeah, we didn't talk about it at all, but you, you, one of your many like experiment projects is you have a YouTube channel too. So I imagine (laughs) learning that trade is probably uh an inspirational thing as well. Yeah, it's very experimental. I'm doing Twitch now too, which is also experimental, but it is, uh, it's fun to mess with stuff. And I've definitely talked to, uh, both of them about tech stuff over the the last few years. Nice. Awesome. Well, 
I guess we can wrap up. I think I, I got us just under time. So uh, yay me this time. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> Seriously, thank you so much. This is, uh, I mean, like I said at the beginning, it's it's always weird talking to somebody who you've listened to for so long, but never actually talked to in real life. Um, but it was absolutely a joy and uh, really, really fun. So thank you. Oh, good. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, you know, maybe in the future when conferences are a thing again, uh, we'll get to hang out. Ah, uh, Yeah. Fingers crossed. That's becoming the, good, uh, right? <laughs> the wrap up section of this podcast lately is like, and maybe one day we'll get to meet. <laughs> yeah. I was so burned out on travel in 2018. We did so much live stuff and, and 2019 wasn't much better. In fact, some ways it was worse. And then, uh, you got monkey pod now after 2020, I'm like, I'm ready to travel. Like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't do it. Uh, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yay. Scientists. That's right. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple podcasts, overcast breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched FM.com. Mm-hmm.